You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hi, this is Jim. And this is Bax. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers' needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. Michael Kist, Benjamin Solak. It's the Kist and Solak Show, presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show. This is episode 37 brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at MichaelKistNFL. As always, I am joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Eight-Year Streak Without a Bad Day, Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, how you doing, brother? I'm doing very well, Michael. Every day is a good day to be alive. It's a, I think it's appropriate that this is the, the Trey Sullivan episode, episode 37. <laughs> Because it's an episode about the NFL draft, and everybody thought Trey Sullivan was going to be the safety of the future, and he's not! <laughs> so, we need a draft one. Absolutely. Yeah, and to do that, to do this draft episode, we have a special guest today. A personal friend of mine and Ben's. He's got an eye for talent and a soft spot for bubble butts. He's the host of Locked On NFL Draft. He's the chief operating officer and senior NFL draft analyst for the Draft Network. He's a father. He's a husband. He's a lover. He is the incomparable John Ledyard. John, how you doing, brother? A lot better after that introduction, man. I was having a rough day, and now my ego is through the roof. I feel good. I'm ready to go. What is a Trey Sullivan? Can I ask that? A Trey Sullivan is a player that has two good hits in the 2017 preseason, and then for the next 500 calendar days, uh, we're told that he's going to be a starter next year, and they really like coaching staff really likes him, uh, and then the Eagles trade for DeAndre Hall at the deadline, who they still have not played uh, because Trey Sullivan did not do anything in the 2018 preseason or training camp. Wow. Sad. (laughs) That is a Trey Sullivan. Uh, John, before we get into the draft stuff here, I want to give you a second here to promote the draft network because I love the work that you and Ben and all my other homies over there are doing. So give me the elevator pitch. Tell me why the gentle listener listening today, uh, why the Draft Network is their go-to source for coverage, not only in the offseason, but during the season as well. Well, if people listen to the Kist and Solak show, they love having fun. And that's really what we're all about at the Draft Network. Can we have fun and can we do it in an educational way that teaches people about football, but also about scouting prospects and things of that nature, allows them to have their own voice to express their own opinions and their own thoughts. That'll be coming with some of the features we have dropping in January that, as Ben knows, and if Ben talks about it too long, he'll get pretty giddy. 
but uh, they're they're pretty exciting. Uh, it's really really exciting stuff. So some really big things on the horizon uh, that'll be probably hitting uh, um, the the draftnetwork.com in January that'll allow people to kind of be able to express their own draft opinions, thoughts, analysis, things like that. But also, you know, just our outlet kind of to be able to teach people, here's our process, here's what our boards look like, and, you know, have fun with it, too. The draft is, I mean, I think it's so great because it, it is fun. Like, there's no immediate winner or loser, and so everybody's kind of, it's not like you know, the rest of the football season is so competitive and you get fans trash talking, and then, you know, this time of year, everybody, nobody knows who's going to go on their team. So everybody's kind of interested in all these prospects and players, and we just try to have as much fun and just be as educational as possible to fans about that process by doing our homework, watching the tape, relaying opinions that we think are well-informed. And uh, so that's really what we're about at the Draft Network. And, uh, yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun so far, and I think the best is definitely yet to come. So bookmark thedraftnetwork.com. And, John, let's get into some quick Eagles talk before we take a more general look at things. Recently, thedraftnetwork.com, you and your staff, you handed out awards for the TDN midseason all-rookie team. And that list includes one of our guys here in Philadelphia, tight end Dallas Goddard, as a first-team selection, despite one dissenting vote for Jets tight end Christopher Milhouse Herndon IV. And I'm assuming that vote was, for Con- was from Connor Rogers. <laughs> that it was, yes, you're correct. <laughs> <laughs> but, John, we're off to a good start here, talking good about some Eagles players. Goddard's been surprisingly fantastic as a run blocker, and he has made the plays when his number has been called in the passing game. Tell me what you like about our boy Dallas Goddard. I think with Goddard, it's just very natural. Like the whole position just seems to come, as a receiver at least, the whole position just seems to come pretty naturally to him. He's a little bit raw at times for sure, but the, the ability to go get the ball outside his frame, the ability to stretch the field, his athleticism translated. You could see that really quickly in the NFL. Um, that's a huge positive, a huge plus. Him getting banged up at the Senior Bowl and then not being able to go full board at the combine or anything like that was that kind of kept his whole evaluation in the dark a little bit. I felt like that there wasn't the buzz about him that I think there maybe would have been had he been able to do those things. Even myself as an evaluator, I put him in the third round. I just, there was too much unknown in terms of being a small school guy, how it would translate. He was my favorite tight end, but um, I just was kind of the unknown kind of kept him down there for me. I would have loved to have seen him more at the senior bowl if he hadn't gotten hurt right in like the fourth play of the day, uh, the first day of practice or something. So, you know, I, I just felt like the the lack of exposure to him against the better level of competition made him a little bit tougher. But to see him even in the preseason, man, against the Steelers, and you know, I could see that athleticism was translating right away, you know. And so I think he, definitely there's been some raw moments with Goddard, but you know, he's able to play in an offense that knows exactly how to utilize him to the best of his ability. And so far, I think that's really happened. And I think over the second half of the season, he's going to be one of the rookies that really starts to pick up his production. I think we're going to see by the time playoff time comes, if the Eagles are indeed in that race, uh, I think he will be a factor. Ben, as the biggest fan of Dallas Goddard and the one that was Uh consistently pounding the table for him to be drafted in Philadelphia, Mm -hmm. does John, what he just said there, does he love Dallas Goddard enough? I mean, no, but it's fine because I understand. Like, I'm rooting for the little guys. Go Jackrabbit, South Dakota State. It's always been my way. Uh, but I think that what makes Goddard uh, most exciting for me when he was selected was, I think, the versatility that Philadelphia was going to be able to u- use with personnel. And we're seeing the ramifications of that halfway into the season. I mean, as we talked about on the show and as, as we were discussing on Twitter, you know, runs out of 11 personnel. Philadelphia's got a success rate of around, like, 40-something percent. And out of 12, it's like 62, right? When they yeah. get Goddard on the field and they, they love to deploy him as a blocker, he's very tough. Uh, he's got a lot of power throughout his frame. He's very flexible in that regard. And so he's 
accomplishing, you know, arc blocks and split zone blocks and getting to the second level. Uh, fantastic hands. He connects really well. Uh, that's where he's been the most effective for them. And while that's not necessarily huge stat lines, it's going to ensure that he continues to get playing time. Uh, and he continues to be on the field because the sets with him are effective. And when you're on the field, you get opportunity, and that's what we've seen. You know what I mean? They're, they're working him into routes uh, in the near red zone, and they're giving him looks that are built just for him, like he's the primary read. And that's just going to keep on happening more and more and more. So certainly what was exciting about Goddard, uh, an older prospect, I think really nicely physically developed coming out of South Dakota State, is you knew you could get him on the field year one and he would be uh, he would he would compete for you in that regard. I agree with Johnny. He is a little raw, you know, like routes still need some uh, cleaning up and whatever. Uh, but he's been what I expect him to be coming out. I think I think while the Eagles have like, you know, a big needed tackle right now and a big needed safety right now, those were other positions we wanted them to go early uh, back in the 2018 draft. You have to be happy with Goddard at 50 or 49. You know, that, 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 that's still great value. Oh, for sure. All right. So let's talk about the NFL draft that is upcoming. So we've looked back. Let's look forward now. And as with any draft discussion, people got to know about the quarterbacks, man. John, is Justin Herbert from Oregon your top rated guy right now? And I'll give you a few directions in which you can take this. But is there another quarterback nipping at his heels? Maybe Dwayne Haskins of Ohio State's getting a lot of buzz right now. Maybe another quarterback that could either overtake him or get real doggone close to create a discussion about what's going to happen there at number one or number two overall, the first quarterback selected. And why would a team draft a rookie quarterback when they could just trade for a proven, undefeated veteran like Nick Mullins of the 49ers? I knew that question was coming. I knew there would be a Nick Mullins reference in there. It's the only thing that matters right now in football. I can't disagree with that at all. Good point on the second part of that question. Um, I don't know that there would be a good reason to draft if Tua Tagovailoa was in this class. I don't know mm. if there'd be a good reason to draft him if you could go out and get Mullins, whatever. <laughs> Nick, is that Nick? Nick, yeah. it is Nick He's Elite player in the making there. But uh, I think that Herbert is clearly the number one guy. Um, no doubt about that. Um, you could sell me on a path in the NFL in which if Haskins entered this draft, he could be nurtured and brought along and cultivated into a player that was better than Herbert ends up being in the NFL. I think the chances are slimmer, though, and he's further away. And only one year playing experience on the field, struggles against Purdue, really big struggles against Penn State, didn't play great against TCU, which isn't even a good matchup, just good compared to the rest of their games. You know, he's got a couple sort of tough games left on the schedule. Michigan will test him for sure. But to enter the NFL with one year of experience, not having played well in any of the key game, you know, I just, it's hard to sell me on a player like that, you know, or, or that he'll even make that decision. So to me, I think I look at Dwayne Haskins and I say, this guy's probably going back. It wouldn't make much sense. So Ohio State's offense is easy enough on the quarterback that I think the NFL would be a big jump. He needs at least more time getting comfortable in the pocket, getting comfortable under pressure, recognizing things pre-snap. And, and mechanically, Ben's talked about this a lot, but mechanically, definitely some concerns as well that could use some work. So exciting. Yeah, the tools are exciting. I think the peak could be exciting, but Odds that a guy like that ends up in a great situation, you know, it's just slim. You don't you don't get the Chiefs trading up for Patrick Mahomes or the Texans trading up for Deshaun Watson every single year. That you just don't see that happen. So it's a possibility, but I think Herbert is clearly the best guy, naturally accurate, I think, and able to make plays outside of structure too. A great arm, a tremendous arm, actually. I think you know people talk about Drew Locke's arm. I think Herbert's is definitely better. He's able to make all the throws, and I know that's a cliche, but when you can throw with touch and with velocity, you can do things that a lot of guys who 
have been labeled as guys who can make all the throws couldn't do. Because when people say that, they usually just mean he can zip it into any window. That's not making all the throws. You know, Josh Allen, we never figured out how to throw with touch mm-hmm. or with velocity and when to use either. I think Herbert has a great feel for when to use either. Um, so I love that about him, that he knows how to th- he just knows how to throw the ball. It's It's beautiful when it comes out of his hand. There's things he needs to do a better job of, like recognizing coverages and recognizing pressure. Um, and some of his mental processing, I think, too, in the pocket can be quicker. Those are all really natural things for a quarterback to have to work on entering the NFL. I think the peak with him is tremendous. I mean, you're talking about elite type of peak if he can get there in the NFL. The situation is going to be very important because he isn't a finished product. So if he declares he's got to go to a team that's going to bring him along, he could definitely end up in a bad situation and, and be headed – toward something that would be closer to a bust than he would be living up to his expectations. Think a Jameis Winston type of situation where all the tools in the world, but if he couldn't fix those issues, and I don't think Herbert's issues are quite as bad as Winston's, but coming out in terms of being just completely reckless. But if Winston couldn't have fixed those issues, you know, he was never going to reach his peak and all the talent's still there, but here we are, what, four or five years later, and he's still no closer to reaching his peak. He's never changed who he is as a player. So Herbert, you're always projecting, almost always with a quarterback, you're projecting something. Very few of these guys are finished products. I'm just comfortable saying Herbert's going to be great if he lands in a great situation. You know, if Patrick Mahomes went to the Browns, he probably wouldn't be doing what he's doing right now. Or if he went to, you know, you name the, the amount of bad teams out there that he could have landed on, probably not doing what he's doing now. Is he still super talented? Yes. But it's the other aspects of Mahomes' game that have developed since he arrived in the NFL, being able to sit for a year and all those kind of things for him. You're playing behind Alex Smith, being with Andy Reid. All the benefits of kind of being in the Chiefs situation have helped make it maximize who he is as a prospect and who he is as a player is special. I don't think Herbert's quite on that level, but I think you're talking about a guy who can be a really good quarterback in the NFL if the NFL does their part and the team he ends up on does their part and develops him like you need to in order to create good quarterbacks in today's NFL because they're just – they're not getting churned out as as ready prospects as Andrew Luck type prospects um, in college football anymore. So you've got to kind of take what's there, mold it, and create it, and make it into the best version of what that player could be. Ben, I want you to single out one point that John Ledyard made right there, nitpick it to death, and cause. I'm a big so fight. glad that's literally what I was going to do, even if you didn't ask it. Because <laughs> I was going to say you don't even have to prop Ben. No, absolutely. That. This is why this this is my my pure form of analysis is just like hey, like 95 percent of that was great, but five percent of it wasn't. So I'm right and you're wrong. But, uh, <laughs> I know. <laughs> Herbert can Love make it. any throw. He can throw a touch, and he can throw with velocity. And he uh, he he just knows how to throw the football. Absolutely, I would add on when he's throwing to his first read, uh, and then when he's throwing to his second read, man's wild. Uh, in terms of Herbert sits on play design right this is read one herbert sits on it and really waits for it to come open in my opinion and a lot of the time when he needs to recognize john talked about recognizing coverages uh he needs to recognize right this isn't going to open and briskly move to his next read he becomes quite statuesque in the pocket i thought this was an issue that you saw against boise uh, in 2017 in the bowl game i saw it against washington in 2018 in their recent game uh when he's forced to his next read, he really loses his vestibular sense in the pocket. What's going on around him is his presence. Uh, and I think his accuracy drops because he's not, uh, he's got to, you know, hitch forward and he, he can't just go timing off of his drops anymore. So that's, that's, that's something that I experienced from him. Uh, Herbert is a guy who simply will, I think, benefit tremendously from returning to school. That's what I would say. Cause I think that a lot of his issues can be ironed out just with time just with being exposed to pressure, being exposed to second read throws, just playing the game, which can happen at the NFL level, obviously. Like they're, 
you're going to play games at the NFL level eventually. Um, but, you know, in terms of just his pure stock as a prospect, I think he'd benefit from going back. That said, if this class is going to be super weak, it would behoove him because he's going to be drafted early because he's got enough talent, regardless of where he's kind of at in those regards. It would behoove him to come out. Yeah, there's some interesting things that you mentioned there, but I think uh, one is, yes, the, you know, and I mentioned to the issues with the mental processing and stuff. I would counter, I don't know if it's even a counter, but I would say, you know, how many college quarterbacks don't have that issue? You know, it just, it, generally speaking, your first read's open a ton in college. It's not always going to be that way in the NFL. I think that's an adjustment that all of them have to make to some degree. Although I agree that at times, you know, it is a little bit troubling for Herbert, not as troubling as like a Drew Locke who just, you know, the processing is just so slow all the time for Drew Locke. Um, but I do think it's something to watch for for him. The other thing is, I know Herbert is definitely on the fence right now. I've talked to some people close to the situation. He's definitely on mm. the fence, uh, very 50-50 right now, and hasn't really thought about it, nor will he really think about it much until the end of the season. He and offensive coordinator Marcus Arroyo are very close uh, at Oregon. And so if Arroyo were to get another job, um, or you know, if he is a name that has come up a lot in terms of coaching searches and things like that, if he were to generate interest and eventually go elsewhere, that could – play a, a role at least in Herbert deciding to go early to the NFL business wise, in my opinion, and Ben, I'll see if, if you're, you agree with me or not, but business wise in my decision, it's an absolute no brainer for Herbert. He's going in the top 10, yeah. almost definitely in the top five picks if he declares. So business wise, it would be crazy for him to go back because next year's class, there's going to be at least a lot more names. I'm not saying these guys are going to be great or worthy of the hype they're going to get, but the NFL is going to be way more excited about next year's class than this year's class. I think, and to me, he's a complete lock to go high in this year's draft. I don't know if that'll be the case if he goes back, though. I'll put it this way. I, I would tell the young man to go get it because you're you're at the point where he's going to be making, yeah, like you said, top 10, I would argue top five money uh, when, when he declares. And that's, right. I think, your first responsibility as somebody who's going to play in the NFL in a professional football league. Your first job is to make sure you get a big contract if and when you can so you have that money. Uh, in, in a vacuum, I would, you know, I'd like for him to go back. It's funny because I would re- I would recommend sure. that he declares, but I would also say the most likely timeline to me where Justin Herbert, you know, quote unquote busts is a timeline where he goes. He's selected by the New York Giants mm-hmm. early. <laughs> Eli stays on the roster. Herbert doesn't start until halfway through the year. Pat Shermer gets fired after that season after they go three and thirteen. A new right. offensive coach comes in. Uh, Gettleman gets fired a year later. You know what I mean? Like it's very easy for me to see the Giants crumble, <laughs> even with Herbert there. Right? We talk about oh, the Giants—they've got in Barkley and they have Odell and Shepard. They could draft Herbert and still royally screw that situation up. I know the Giants quite well. They could pull that off. And so, like, that's oh, no. also the most no, likely no. path to me where Herbert busts. But I would still kind of tell him to take that risk because you know you got to secure the bag when you can secure the bag. It's as simple as that. Amen, brother. Absolutely. So we've got all t- all this time to talk about quarterbacks, and they're going to be heavily debated throughout this entire process as we go up to the draft. But one position that I want to touch on here, because it's very possibly going to be an area of need for the Eagles entering the 2019 season and, and draft. And from what I have seen with the running back position, Rodney Anderson from Oklahoma would be my top running back on tape. But his medical history 
reads like a novel. And you've also got two guys that I believe most would put close to him and would be elevated over him due to those medicals. One is Damian Harris from Alabama, who probably would have had a day two grade from me on him last year. If he had come out, he decided to stay. So he's in this class. And the other player, I believe, is going to be hotly debated. And that's David Montgomery from Iowa State. And the reason that he'll be so polarizing is because his testing, I feel, is going to be huge for him because his, his contact balance and his power are fantastic, but he might lack the prerequisite juice to be considered a first-round pick. Uh, John, find the lie uh, if there is anyone in what I just said, and tell me your thoughts on how this running back group might uh, shake out. I don't know if there's a lie. I just don't know that any of them are any good, and I know that's kind of depressing <laughs> for Eagles fans to hear if they're looking for this class. I just think there's major issues probably with all three guys. You know, I will say Damon Harris does look like he's had a little burst this year, but not very good in pass protection has never really, I mean, he's had productive seasons or whatever, but he's never really been like this great player. You know, he's never like, he, there's nothing about Damian Harris that would suggest you take him in the first round. I don't think, you know, I just no. think that's, mm-hmm. so it's just, you're, you're probably talking about a guy that's very average, not going to be a receiving prospect, not going to be, um, a, a, he isn't a great pass protector and comes off the field in a lot of those downs anyway for Alabama right now in favor of a guy like Joshua Jacobs or, and, and as a runner, how great are we talking about? You know, I, I think we're talking about a pretty average type of runner in the NFL. You know, I, I just don't know if there's anything special about his game. I don't, Rodney Anderson, definitely the most upside to me of, of the three that you mentioned there, but the injury history, man, at running back, you just can't, like you can't take it before round three. I just, I, I cannot see an NFL team. So he may get a great round. uh, He may get a great film evaluation, but you know, and, and I may put him there with an injury flag. He may be high on my board, but as an NFL team with that type of history, I mean, the guy's been hurt almost every single year at that position. Well, that isn't a great value anyway. I mean, round three is, to me, his best case scenario, I think. But I mean, we'll see what happens. Obviously, maybe the medicals look better than we expected the combine. and so. But I think with Montgomery, I mean, last year caught 36 passes for 296 yards. Averaging over eight yards a catch is pretty good for a, a runner running back. He looked better and more effective in space as a running back, despite not being a great athlete, than he did as a pure running back. And you hate to box score scout, so I've actually watched his tape too to see if you know this is the case. But I just don't know that there's many Big Twelve running backs who go high that are averaging 4.4 yards per carry last year on 258 carries, and then this year 4.5 yards per carry on 144 carries. So we have large sample sizes. Pretty minimal outputs in terms of a yard per carry average for Dave Montgomery. And when you watch the tape, you just don't see the burst to take advantage of slight creases. You don't see a a great vision or great decisiveness from him all the time. When he tries to bounce it, it's just not fruitful most of the time. He's just not that type of athlete. He does have some power and some contact balance that shows up situationally for sure that, you know, will get on Twitter a lot because people will put those clips up there and it'll be easy for people to get excited about that. But the full valuation of David Montgomery is a little bit troubling. I'm not saying he's a bad player, but like if we're talking about David Montgomery is like a first, you know, even in the Nick Chubb early second round range to me, I just, if that's where yeah. the NFL sees Nick Chubb and like, I don't see anything to convince me David Montgomery is better than carry on Johnson. They're better than those guys. And those guys were going round two. So I, again, I think we might be talking about a third round type of player. You know, like like John said, it might be disappointing for Philadelphia fans that this back class doesn't really have that standout guy. In my opinion, it, it, it could be good because you're not going to be spending a premier pick on a back. 
And Philadelphia is a is a committee back sort of uh, team. And so they really can, you know, bring in these guys who are probably limited and can only do this well and only play in these sort of roles. You know what I mean? So there are still guys I think they can probably bring in. You know, there's there's committee style guys. Montgomery, man. I want to like Montgomery so like I want to like him so much. You know the uh yeah. the Vince McMahon gif where like he's like getting excited about stuff, he's in that seat, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> the David Montgomery mm-hmm. run is, yeah. is like that gif because you know he gets the ball in his hands and he like there's a <laughs> penetrator and he makes the penetrator miss, and you're kinda like, oh like here we go. And then he's he's reading, you know, zone flow and he like makes like a great little cut, like right up field, makes another guy miss. You're like, all right, like this is it, here we go. Like it's like the second level linebacker comes to hit him. And Montgomery takes on the contact and he stays upright and you like get out of your seat. You're so excited. And then he goes to explode. And you're just like, dang it! Like <laughs> we were so close. Like it was almost everything you want to see. And the second he gets kind of into that second, third level, and it's time for him to put the gas on, man, it just kind of takes the wind out of your sails. You're just like, oh, like it looks so pretty. You want to take what's good about Bryce Love and what's good about David Montgomery and just stick them into the same player. Like, here we go. This is it. This is the perfect running back. You know, like once once he gets into space, you can just burn on you. Montgomery's just a low rider. He's 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 a thick player, he's got short strides, and he just he doesn't have great speed or great agility. And because of that, he's always gonna be a player that feels like he leaves some meat on the bone. And and, and this is an NFL, Mike, we always talk about this. It values explosive plays. You know, what 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 do we want from our running backs? We want to be them to be able to rip off some chunk yardage plays. That's the new nature of the NFL. And Montgomery, I just don't know if he has that. And that's so disappointing because a lot of what he does, I really, really like. Ronnie Anderson, man, I've compared him to Jay Ajayi for a while now. And Eagle fans should know Ajayi is a great back when he's yeah. healthy, when he's rumbling. Uh, but you, it's very tough for us to trust him. And so that's, I think, a really good construct to understand uh, not only Ronnie Anderson's play style and his build and kind of the way that he wins, uh, but also just kind of the reality around him coming out of college. He's going to be very tough to trust as a multi-contract or bell cow player. So Damian Harris is a guy that we talked about that you can see on primetime, 8 p.m. CBS primetime game, number one, Alabama against number three, LSU. But beyond uh, Damian Harris, of, uh, Harris, of course, uh, this is must-watch television if you're a draft, Nick. There's so much NFL talent that's going to be showcased in this game. But there's also some great matchups that I'm sure we'll be looking at again leading up to the draft in terms of how player X performed against player why or how they performed in a certain situation in a big game against a very good team. What are, John, some of the individual matchups that you're really looking forward to? I think that, um, man, there's so many every single week, but Alabama defense or Alabama wide receivers against LSU defensive backs. I mean, man, that's just going to be greedy. Yeah, greedy. And Christian Fulton, also the other LSU corner who is his first year playing. I don't know whether he'll declare or not, but it is a draftable prospect. So somebody to keep an eye on. Uh, Grant Delpit, uh, the safety uh, for LSU. John Battle, the other is not Delpit, by the way, not draft eligible yet. Will be a top ten pick probably oh, next year. It's awesome. Yeah, he's amazing. Uh, John Battle is a he's like twenty four, but a great player can do a ton of different things for LSU. Really unsung type of player. Um, they just have such a talented group, and I think that group's gotten better every single week. You know, really gave Ole Miss and that group troubles, and I know Alabama's offense way more complex than Ole Miss's, but. Just uh, in terms of being able to match up 1v1, it's going to be the most talented group that Ole Miss's guys see. And then, you know, Irv Smith and the tight end and Jerry Judy and Jalen Waddle and Henry Ruggs and Devontae Smith, those guys for Alabama. I mean, only uh, Irv Smith draft algebra out of the group. The rest of them look out for them in next year's class. Uh, just ridiculously talented wide receiver group for Alabama. And they've changed their whole offense. 
wisely uh, to, you know, something that teams like Georgia and Ben and I have talked about Stanford should be doing. Alabama's changed their entire offensive approach based on the players that they have rather than what their coach has done in the past. So I, I it's wow. just, yeah, mind boggling <laughs> that that can happen, but uh, it's led to what you see, which is an absolute machine. So I don't think LSU stands a chance largely due to the, the limitations of their own offense. You know, it's the best offense we've seen from LSU for a while. I don't know if it's good enough to, to beat up on Alabama or to keep it even close with Alabama, but I still think LSU is a great team. I would take two loss LSU over Notre Dame and what they've done this season. Oh, I know the committee beat. obviously won't see it that way, but LSU really good team, I think, but I don't know if they can beat Alabama. I'm a Notre Dame fan and I agree with that sentiment. Uh, ben, <laughs> one uh, individual matchup that you're really looking forward to with Alabama versus LSU. All right, so Alabama's got a lot of good players, right? No kidding. And so we, uh, you know, it's the summer, and John was our SEC guy, and John's just basically got to go through the whole defensive roster <laughs> and watch all of these players because they're all good. You got to watch this. Whenever you watch Alabama, like all 22, you watch the defense, you have to watch it like 15 different times the same game. I mean, I probably watched last year's slate like, I mean, I'm not even kidding. I watched like every game of Rajon Evans like seven times just because <laughs> I'm watching everybody else. <laughs> yeah. No, so, so you've got you've got like Raekwon Davis who came in as a top flight in, uh, defensive lineman and Mac Wilson who came in as a potential round one linebacker and is you know you're, you're classic about Isaiah Bugs another like defensive line edge guy who had some good run and Fernie Jennings was your outside linebacker so on and so forth and still somehow the best players on Alabama's defense end up being these guys who just did who they were rotational players last year right like just Quinn like yeah you could sit them right because you had people in front of them so I'm talking about two guys in Quinn Williams and Deontay Thompson yeah. uh, Deontay Thompson is the free safety. Uh, and he's got that Malik Hooker sort of look for him where you watch him and you go, I wonder if he's going to make it to this ball. And then he makes it all the way to the sidelines. He's got fantastic instincts, reads super well, and then he can fly. And he's got good ball skills up in the air. The Louisville game that he put on early in the season was just teaching tape. You know what I mean? Like Saban's going to be using that for his free safeties for the next decade. Incredible film. Uh, but then it's Quinn and Williams, the defensive tackle, who really is like a top three player for me. Uh, he's above Ed Oliver for some, and I think that's got a, a, some serious run to it. Quinn and Williams is of a better size on the interior, uh, and he might even have better pass rush ability than Ed Oliver. He's going up against a good interior offensive line in LSU. Uh, Garrett Brumfield is the left guard there for LSU, and I like him a fair bit. He's a great athlete. I think he's a really steady player a, a smart player who when he gets beat can recover pretty nicely uh and, you know he's he's able to to he doesn't panic and he doesn't lunge that's a really good trait and you're gonna get beat by quinn williams because williams is an animal uh, so quinn and williams against left guard garrett brumfield on lsu that's my big matchup to watch really excited to see brumfield against obviously the top competition he's gonna face and then williams has just been eaten right williams has been feasting on everybody uh, opposite him and so if brumfield can take a little bit of the wind out of his sails maybe we can start to find some weakness in, in quinn and williams game right now we haven't really been able to find much of one so a must watch game for anybody that's into the draft happening saturday night at 8 p.m check that out uh john before we go uh, I've been known to frequently ask questions for the Locked On NFL Draft Fan Friday episodes, and those questions are exclusively history questions, and I know you love them so much and look forward to them as a history buff yourself, so in honor of that, I have a history question for you. Are you ready for this, John? I mean, probably not, but let's do it. Well, Alexander the Great 
at 12 or 13 years old, was said to have tamed a wild Thessalian horse named Eucephalus, um, who his father, King Philip, then purchased for him at a price of 13 talents, which 13 talents is worth a month's salary of a fully loaded trireme of 200 men, in case you were wondering. We've currently said six words I don't know. (laughs) And if Ben doesn't know, there's probably 14 I don't know. So uh, Alexander and Bucephalus, they they go on all types of adventures together, and Alexander plundered and conquered and all that stuff with, with this horse. Why is the story of Alexander the Great taming Bucephalus at the age of 12 or 13 completely implausible, John? Your theory. Implausible to have happened, to have actually happened? Yeah. Like, why is it uh, exaggerated? Why is it part of the Alexander romance? Why, why, is it, why is it likely nonsense? Well, I don't know a lot about breaking in horses, but okay. I would imagine that a 12-year-old would get a pretty rough ride based on – if you're talking about a wild horse that needs broken in, I don't know there's many 12-year-olds that could trot out there and get it done unless we're talking about, like, DeForest Buckner when he was 12 or something like that, you know, <laughs> just picturing and visualizing. But you need a pretty – you need a very man-sized twelve-year-old, I think, to be able to get that job done. Is that a fair answer? Yeah, that's that's fair. Alexander was pretty short, so uh, I, I do kind of like that answer. John, do you want my response now, or do you want it in the form of a video reply, as I oh usually do gosh. on Twitter? I can't, how that's can you? Choice. How can I say no to the video reply? That's the problem. <laughs> I kind of want to know now, but also I couldn't. I need the video reply, so I'm going to go with the video. Okay, after I drop this, I'll hit you up on Twitter with the uh, with the video reply in the mentions. So, uh, gentle listeners, look out for that. Uh, John, thank you so much for joining us today. Remind the gentle listeners where they can find you and all of your work. Yeah, the written works over at thedraftnetwork.com, a podcast locked on NFL Draft to five days a week with Trevor Sycamore and myself uh, year-round, uh, Monday through Friday. And then you can follow me on Twitter at Ledyard, L-E-D-Y-A-R-D, NFL Draft. Boom. We have the weekend off here at BGN Studios, so we'll be back talking with you on Monday about what happened on Sunday. Again, we thank John for joining us, and in the meantime, enjoy the enjoy the weekend, enjoy your football, and remember that we all we got, we all we need. Fly, Eagles, fly. Hello, you're listening to Simone de Rochefort, one of the hosts of The Polygon Show. It's a show all about the video games that you'll never have time to play. Brought to you by four friends who are just as passionate about food, soft drinks, and TV shows as we are about video games. Every Friday, we bring you a new hour of personal stories. Like how we found the best way to play Yakuza 0. Or even what happens when you play so much Zelda that you hurt your hands and can't play games anymore. Above all, we just have a really good time talking about the games that we love. Check out the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. You can also find us at Polygon Show on Twitter and send a tweet to say hi. Thanks for listening.